You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. My name's Sean Stevens, and today's episode is one of our exam episodes. If you haven't just sat the exam or if you're not coming up to the exam, I would suggest that this is probably not a good use of your time. If, however, you are doing the exam or have just done the exam, then this episode is for you. So please listen on. Thanks. Welcome to part two of the RACGP 2019 OSCE exam preparation podcast. You remember our first part covered the structure of the OSCE, how the OSCE is marked, and history taking. The second podcast will cover physical examination in the OSCE diagnosis and management, resources and supports to assist with OSCE exam preparation. My name is Paul and I'm Chair of the West Australian Faculty and a Board Director of the RACGP. Our first presenter is Chris Hughes. He's the Tasmanian Faculty Censor. Hi, Chris. Hi, Sean, and hi, Guan, and hi, everyone. Our other presenter is Guan Yo. Guan is the National Assessment Advisor for the OSCE. Welcome, Guan. Hi, Sean, and hello, everyone, again. To make a start, firstly, to you, Chris, how should candidates approach the physical examination part of the case? Thanks, Sean. Um, basically, some cases require the candidate to request examination findings from the observing examiner. If you're not specific enough, the observing examiner will always ask you, what do you specifically want? An example of this was in the most recent OSCE was the case of the man who was 55 who really attended his GP like so many men we know but now had some joint complaints. In the case most of the physical examination findings were handed to candidates and they were quite normal but candidates were then asked for specific cardiovascular and abdominal findings. In this case being specific meant not just to ask for abdo exam, it was very important to ask for tenderness, masses and organomegaly. And the same sort of thing follows with all facets. If you're asked to be specific, then always give specific inquiry. There'll always be some stations that require actual hands-on physical examination. Sometimes a candidate is instructed to carry out an appropriate examination. At other times, a candidate may be asked to examine one or more body systems. Make sure you demonstrate hand hygiene and always ask for consent from the patient. Physical examination should be systematic as this minimises any omissions. This is where your practice with your colleagues and others is quite invaluable. Candidates must always consider patient comfort and remember to report your findings during the examination to save time. Great. Thanks, Chris. Next is usually the problem definition or the differential diagnosis part of the case. Chris, can I ask you to comment on that section? Yeah, thanks again, Sean. Demonstrating clinical reasoning is, is one of the most important parts of the OSCE exam. Candidates may be instructed to provide a provisional diagnosis and list a possible differential diagnosis to the observing examiner. We ask for this in this sequence as there could be serious conditions that a candidate may not at this stage want to discuss with a patient. At other times, candidates may be asked to discuss the diagnostic conclusions with the patient as well. This also means checking if the patient understands what you have explained to them. It can be okay sometimes for the candidate to be unsure about a diagnosis as long as they explain to the patient how they plan to reach a diagnosis and manage accordingly. Great. Thanks, Chris. 
So, Guan, how should candidates approach investigations? Yes, John, I try to relate most things back to actual practice. Investigations in our practice should actually help us confirm the provisional diagnosis and exclude serious conditions. Thus, in the exam itself, they should be relevant and selective and prioritised in the light of the cost effectiveness. I also say to be specific. By this, I mean, tell us what you would exactly want to write on the pathology or imaging request form. Great. Okay, thanks, Guan. The last part of the case is usually management. What's your advice, Guan, when you're doing that section and to do it really well? Yes, and this is an area currently where a number of candidates underperform. I suggest a simple framework. Think of it in three parts. Number one, what is required immediately? Now, this is usually some urgent patient safety measure. Then, what is next to occur in the medium term? And three, what needs to occur in the long term? And for two and three, we need to ask ourselves, are there any milestones or targets that the patient knows and can judge their progress? And then after that, consider what does the patient need to do or not to do to keep themselves healthy, i.e. the preventive medicine aspect and healthy lifestyles. But in this, we need the candidate to be specific. Just saying exercise more or eat a healthy diet or lose some weight just won't cut it at the fellowship assessment level. Mm, absolutely. You've got to be fit for independent practice and that's you know, that's just not best practice, is it? Guan, can you explain to me what you mean by shared decision-making? There is actually a specific structure or protocol to shared decision-making. It means briefly to discuss with the patient the following. Number one, what will happen if we do nothing, i.e. a wait-and-watch approach? Number two, what are the options in regards to a test or a treatment? Number three, what are the benefits and harms of each option? Number four, how do they weigh out for you, i.e., what is the patient's preference? And number five, what further information do you need to make a choice? Having said that, Sean, I try to keep it simple, the old keep it simple strategy. I think that's something that's suitable for both the practice and the exam situation and something that should come easily to patient-centered doctors. The first point is, when formulating a plan, test it against the patient's preference. Check the patient's response to a plan. I think Chris had mentioned that earlier. And then, what are the blockers? What are the helpers? What are the obstacles to implementation? What are the resources or the skills that the patient might require? And once you've addressed all those three, it is pretty straightforward developing common ground and a shared understanding of what needs to be done. Okay, thanks, Guan. Are there any other aspects of management that may not be immediately obvious? Can you shed some light on this for us, please, Guan? That's a good question. Some candidates overlook family and community supports, safety netting arrangements where appropriate. And if it's appropriate, it needs to be as specific as possible, i.e. what kind of symptoms should the patient be concerned about. And yet sometimes the additional thing stares you in the face. So let's go back to the person age 36 who, requests an S who requested an STD, STI check. Now the patient knows that the other party 
person had a relationship with already had a check and had been given the all clear. So a candidate could reflect, so you want to make sure it's all clear. And the patient elaborated that this was a short-term extramarital occurrence. The patient is definite that the spouse is not to be informed of the test results. So this should set off alarm bells on what are the public health issues here, what are the ethical and medical issues here. So as a general rule in the OSCE, try to be supportive and of assistance. For example, do you want me to talk to your partner about your new diagnosis? Or in the case of the person aged 78 who wanted a certificate from, for the lawyer, perhaps we can have a consultation with you and your family on this issue. These words will show that you are interested and that you care and will inevitably reflect in the confidence that the patient has in your overall management. Great. Thanks, Juan. So, Chris, turning to you now, can I ask if there's any specific strategies that candidates can use in the Viva? Thanks, Sean. In the Viva case format, candidates are asked a series of questions about a given clinical scenario. It's important to answer each question to the point, but without long elaboration. Remember, you need to answer all the questions to complete the case and you will be prompted to complete all four or five questions, depending on how many have to be completed. Prescribed cues may be used by the examiner to encourage you to give more detail in each question. Prompting by the examiner is actually allowed, but if it needs to be more often than is reasonable, it may lead to lower marks. So please just try and uh, do your best within the constraints of the format. Okay, great. So, Chris, what support does the college offer for exam preparation, particularly in relation to rural candidates who can't easily attend events in capital cities? Yes, Sean, as, as we all know across the country, faculty officers are very proactive in providing pre-exam courses in every part of the exam, and the OSCE is no exception, where, where people are offered the opportunity to sit mock exams with experienced examiners uh, doing cases that are, obviously won't be used during the exam itself, but uh, it's a very helpful preparation to understand the format. And to some extent, the actual marking standard is also judged against every candidate in that situation as well. But the RSHEP supports exam preparation in many other ways. And this support covers both technique and the scope of the curriculum as examined in the exam. So from the college website, exam support online modules on GP learning are very good, obviously very free and available to all members. The RACGP's flagship journal, Australian Journal of General Practice, formerly known as the AFP, also gives a lot of recent up-to-date information. It's important to concentrate on the last five or so years, but this journal goes back many years and it helps us to round out our information, even for stuff that's a little bit older than five years, but the last five is critical. Public exam ports are a relatively new process that the college is, is used to try and make the exam process a lot more open, but also using it as an educational tool. They give details around pass rates, but they also give valuable tips to those, particularly those that need to retake the exam. The clinical resources tab on the college website has a wealth of information value to anybody preparing for fellowship assessment. The RACG library includes online access to tomes as wonderful as Therapeutic Guidelines, Australian Medicine's Handbook, Medicine Today and the National Prescriber Service Publications. But there's, there's many that the college provide and, and support candidates with. 
Mm. Well, yeah, once you start digging, it's amazing what's there. Um, are there any other online resources that will assist OSCE preparation? Yes, Sean, there's a lot of things that are available free and not so free. In particular, we, I think, sure, most candidates realise that, that to understand protocols and guidelines specific for Australian general practices is really quite important. They often come up in the OSCE. Most are quite freely available online. I suppose in two main groups, firstly those that are developed within major tertiary teaching hospitals, in particular the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne and also the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne also has uh, protocols for women's and child health issues generally. Also those that are published by the major professional bodies, organisations such as Kidney Health Australia, Heart Foundation, Lung Foundation, Stroke Foundation, Asthma Foundation, Diabetes Australia and the Gut Foundation. There are quite a number of others. Also, please consider freely available resources such as the Royal College of Pathologists Australia Manual, which is available free by download. The Australian Immunisation Handbook. Choosing Wisely is a new excellent resource for the National Prescriber Service, which looks at the most economic ways to investigate and treat illnesses. The Osroads publication Fitness to Drive comes up from time to time as well. Australian Doctor, How to Treat, been around for a long time, very useful resource. Dermnet New Zealand is a trusted source internationally to assist the diagnosis and management of dermatological conditions generally. Life in the Fast Lane has a great ECG library and Imaging Pathways is also another very useful UK site. Great. So there's a whole heap of stuff out there. Thanks very much, Chris. Textbooks, if people can still remember them. Can I ask you, Guan, are they still a help in the OSCE? Mm-hmm. Well, Sean, in the beginning I said that in the FRACGP exam, the OSCE most approximates the assessment of clinical general practice, i.e. assessing what you do. So in my mind, preparing for the OSCE is about practicing time role plays, small group practice, and of course, your everyday clinical practice. It is so easy to perform well in the OSCE if you are diligent about history taking, physical examination, investigation, and how you explain management in everyday practice. Now, some reading up is required in relation to management, including therapeutics. And therapeutics is another area where a number of candidates underperform. And books can help in this regard. Yes, there are still great textbooks that give valuable help with OSCE. Um, John Murtagh's General Practice, now 25 years young and available in the 7th ed, remains a favourite tool for most candidates. Clinical Cases for General Practice Exams by Susan Wern, that's a good one too. And the GPRA have a number of written and web-based resources to assist with exam preparation. I can't encourage enough that candidates attend preparatory activities uh, run by the faculties that Chris has referred to and the trial mock exams. The RACGP does not provide content to nor endorse the content of exam preparatory courses that are provided by some private organisations. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Guan. Chris, can you comment on the services candidates might call upon to support them through the stress of the exam preparation process? Because obviously that is huge. Yes, Sean, it, it's it's obviously of great concern to us. So we, we provide some particular 
resources and, and specific assistance. We know that studying for and sitting exams can be an extremely stressful time. You know, we've all done exams for, for so many years. But resitting exams is particularly stressful. So it's very important to look after your own health and also look out for the health and well-being of your colleagues in your study group. Performance anxiety is a very specific issue which can affect significantly some performances in the OSCE um, and also to some extent both your preparation and exam performance. If you have issues in this area, please consider the assistance of a psychologist either through your own GP or through the RACGP GP support program. The RACGP support program is a free and confidential counselling service by psychologists for all RACGP members and it can be accessed via the college website or by phoning direct. Hopefully everybody online has their own GP but if you don't you may wish to contact the doctor's health advisory service and there's a 24-hour helpline for that to uh, to be organised as well. So, But I suppose the best advice is with good preparation hopefully confidence will follow and this will inevitably lead to the best outcome for all of you and we wish you well. Thanks Chris and, and we are a collegiate college so I think it is really important that we support our, our fellows and our members through these um, difficult times so it's great to hear that there are a number of resources available. This concludes the OSCE Preparation Podcast and we wish all well in their fellowship journey. I'd like to thank again Guan and Chris for taking the time to do these two important podcasts and I'd also like to thank Helen Wilcox, the WA Faculty Centre, for all of her great preparatory work with this podcast. Thanks very much, Chris, and thanks, Guan.